You are now listening to a Fit Plus Love production. I remember this moment. It was like six weeks into training where I ran my first 10K, and that was the longest distance I'd ever run in my life. And just knowing, knowing that I could do it, feel good, and that I could even do more was this this feeling that I became, for lack of a better word, addicted to, right? Like knowing that there were no limitations physically, mentally, emotionally to what I could do. So that sort of energy was really born through the training plan. And that's, I mean, that's the same thing that guides me now, just this sense of, you know, I can do hard things. Like, and it's so cliche, but you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? I'm able to apply all of the lessons still that I learned that first time to the work that I do in my life. That was Allison Mariella Desir. This is Marnie Salop. Thanks for tuning into my podcast, Marnie on the Move. Each week, I will be inviting interesting, innovative movers and shakers to join me on the show and share their story. You will discover and hear from thought leaders, experts, influencers, and entrepreneurs from the worlds of wellness, sports, beauty, fitness, fashion, and more. Marnie on the Move will feature an eclectic mix of people I know, work with, and think are generally doing cool things. On each episode, I sync up with my guests about life, career, and training, and showcase their expertise and story. Hello, welcome, and welcome back to the Marnie on the Move podcast. I'm your host, Marnie Salop. Today on the podcast, I am syncing up with Allison Mariella Desir, author of the eye-opening new book, Running While Black, Finding Freedom in a Sport That Wasn't Built for Us, which just dropped October 18th, 2022. Allison is a runner, marathoner, activist, mental health advocate, founder, and mother. She is the co-chair of the Running Industry Diversity Coalition and the director of sports advocacy and an athlete advisor for Wazelle. She's also a Brooks Run Happy ambassador and she's the founder of Harlem Run Club, a New York City-based running movement, and Run for All Women, an organization that has raised over $400,000 for nonprofits including Planned Parenthood and Black Voters Matter focused on social justice work. Today on the podcast, Allison and I are talking all about her new book, Running While Black. We rewind to where it all began, how running saved her life, how training for her first marathon inspired her to build Harlem Run Club, and where her passion for social justice for running and run for all women began, and how all of these initiatives have grown and evolved, culminating in her story all of which she talks about in her incredible new book. Running While Black weaves historical context from the first recreational running boom in Oregon to the unrecognized black pioneers of the sport and to the horrific murder of Ahmad Arbery together with Allison's own story of growth in the sport to show America's history of white supremacy across major institutions. In her book, Allison unpacks how we got here and advocates for a world where everyone is free to safely experience the life-changing power of movement. Allison shares how as she became involved in the running community and learned its history, she realized that the sport was largely built for those who are white, thin, and fast. 
and have no idea what it's like to live in a black body. Allison and I also talk about what it took to bring this book to fruition. I get the scoop on her newest venture and retreat, Women of Color Take the Lead, and how she's staying fit in the process. You are definitely going to want to add this book to your reading list. And if you like what you hear, leave us a review on Apple. It's easy. Head over to wherever you get your podcasts on Apple. Click on the Money on the Move podcast. Click on leave a review and tell us what you love. Also, feel free to share this conversation on your social channels. Take a screenshot and tag us. Now, on to my conversation with Allison. Allison, it is so awesome to connect with you and congratulations on your new book, Running While Black. Thank you so much. It's so awesome. You've done so many things, though, in your career. So let's jump in and let's dial it back because when your name first came onto my radar, you had started the Harlem Run Club, which mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I would love to kind of hear more about where the inspiration for this began and when it was and yeah and like why did you start this amazing running club i started harlem run in uh november of 2013 and it was really an outgrowth of my experience training for my first marathon and absolutely loving the experience it um it sort of it's funny i i was i felt so helpless before training for the marathon and running the marathon sort of re- returned me to who I was before that, right? Yeah. It's running the marathon gave me a sense of hope. It gave me a sense of power. It allowed me to feel embodied. It connected me with community, right? Like all of the things that people say when they're sharing on social media. And, yeah. and it's funny because I also have non-runner friends and they're like, could you just stop talking about running? And it's like, no, you don't get it. It is transformational. So I had this amazing experience that also helped me um, manage my mental illness. Right. And I decided that I wanted to start something in my community that was particularly for uh, Black people, because in my experience training for the marathon, I hadn't seen many Black people in my training program. I would show up at races and there weren't many of us. So I wanted to start something in Harlem uh, for people who looks like me. And it came from just that really humble idea of wanting to run with other people. And I had no idea where it would land me. You mentioned mental health. And, you know, I know you have struggled with depression in your life. And I know that you also, from reading your book, turned to running. Take me back to the where running began for you and what it was like starting to run and how it helped you with your mental health. And then which yeah. led you to the Harlem Run Club. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think, um, so even before I started this training plan, just the idea right. of being given a 16-week training plan that somebody assures you you know, even though you've never run anything like this before, in 16 weeks, you'll be able to do this thing that 1% of the global population does. <laughs> yeah. Like just that alone was one empowering, but also terrifying. Yeah. And there was a part of me that was like, are you kidding me? Like, you don't know me. How could you say that I could do this thing and you've never met me before? So part of me wanted to reject that. But the other part of me was like, you know, let me, let me make this leap of faith. Right. So just again, the structure of breaking down something impossible into smaller pieces was a really powerful tool for me. And then I felt, you know, I, I, I really committed deeply to this training plan. And so 
at the very, you know, the, the smallest piece of that meant that I had to get outside of my house at right. least five days a week, right? Which coming from a place of being depressed and taking lots of sleeping pills and being in bed, that was uh, a huge change in my life. And, you know, research and anecdotal evidence shows that just being outside, being connected to green spaces has a positive impact on your mental health. And I was experiencing all of that, right? right. Like, no joke, I would go outside and be like, oh my gosh, I didn't realize how how pretty the trees are or what it feels like when you're moving and the wind is behind you. So I was making all of these seemingly small discoveries that were reintroducing me to the world and to myself. And there was nothing like, you know, there's, I remember this moment, um, it was like six weeks into training where I ran my first 10 K and that was the longest distance I'd ever run in my life. Yeah. And just knowing, knowing that I could do it, feel good. And that I could even do more was this, this feeling that I became for lack of a better word, addicted to, right? Yeah. Like knowing that there were no limitations physically, mentally, emotionally to what I could do. Um, so that that sort of energy was really um, born through the training plan. And that's, I mean, that's the same thing that guides me now, just this yeah. sense of, you know, I can do hard things. Like, and it's so cliche, but, you know, it's a marathon, not a sprint, right? I'm able to apply all of the lessons still that I learned that first time to the work that I do in my life. I think until you do it, as someone who's a runner and triathlete, it really does seem impossible. And then as you yeah. like do little bits, you're like, wow, I thought five miles was hard. Then you do like mm -hmm. seven and it's the build. But, you know, we're talking about like running, but then also life and entrepreneurship. Exactly. They're all the same, really. I think exactly. like, there's so many great metaphors from running that you can bring to life and all those things. But yeah. So what, exactly. yeah. Yeah. I was going to say and that that is particularly why I'm so passionate about more people having access to the sport, because yeah. it's not just it's not just what it does for you physically or even mentally, but the way that it transfers into other aspects of your life. So if there are limitations on who gets to experience this power of the run and power of transformation, then there are limitations to who sees the world in this way and in a way right. where, you know, you be successful and find meaningful life and work back to Harlem Run Club. So you started that. Mm -hmm. And I remember, I think I was working with Mile High Run Club at the time. And I don't know mm -hmm. if you came, if you guys came and did something. Mm -hmm. Did you, you did? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I remember that. I remember that was um, in the early days of Mile High. And I yeah. remember Harlem Run did something. And then I also, a few months later, I got to do something there with uh, Candace Huffine um, with, an, with a project that she started yes. called Project Start. Yes. Um, but yes, I remember that. Okay, so flash forward, run for all women. This was one of the most incredible things I have ever seen. I've always admired the work you've done in the running community for women, for black women, run for all women. Running from New mm. York City to Washington, D.C. and raising $150,000 for Planned Parenthood. That was awesome. Where did this idea come Thank from? You. Yeah, talk to me a little bit about yeah. that. Yeah. It's wild because even like hearing you say it and I know that it was me. I know that I did it, but it's like, even in my head, I'm like, whoa, that's so wild. I, I can't believe we accomplished it. So the idea for it, you know, it really came from um, my own reflections uh, at the end of the year that was, you know, moving into uh, right after the election. And so moving into when what Voldemort would be was elected. Exactly. <laughs> we don't exactly. say his name on the podcast. No, I'd rather say Voldemort. I, uh, 
Yeah. I, I, I won't say it either. Um, <laughs> but reflecting on that and the election and then on my community and having conversations with, you know, important people in my life about, well, what is the power of Harlem Run? And what are there, you know, it's easy to feel helpless, not just then, but all the time yeah. with the uh, unprecedented and really overwhelming things that we're experiencing in this country, in this world. But, you know, through conversations with friends and my partners, started thinking about, well, what if, what if I focused on what I could do with the resources that I had and the community that I had? And running had always been this transformational experience for me. Movement has also always been something that historically Black people have used as a way of social protest. Movement has always been something that Black people use historically to send messages and for activism, whether it's marches or even you think about Harriet Tubman and the Underground Railroad. So this idea of movement as power is something that is sort of embedded into who I am anyway. So it was putting all of these pieces together and, and ultimately knowing that the Women's March was happening and that that would be this historical moment. So how could we get from Harlem to DC for the Women's March and then center all of this work on um, Planned Parenthood, which remains under attack, right? Like that's really when um, the attacks began in full force, but this important, incredibly important resource for all genders, how, how could we use our movement to support that cause and, and more largely speaking, uh, supporting women's uh, women and other genders being their very own body being powerful. Um, and then, you know, once the idea was out there on, on the GoFundMe, it all sort of spiraled very quickly in, in an amazing way. We, I didn't anticipate that women from all over the world would be interested, uh, that men, non-binary folks, trans folks would, yeah. would join in the cause. And it just was you know, it was almost like a movie. And that's why when I think back on it, it's I have to like pinch myself. Like, no, that was real. That really happened. It was incredible. I mean, I was sitting on my couch and I was so, as many people were so frustrated with the election and I love running. And I was thinking like, mm. how can I do something with what I love and what I know to raise awareness or what I was thinking literally like, why can't people like run and demonstrate mm. and you know, mm-hmm, why can't we turn mm-hmm. this like community, which is such a powerful community, the runner's world, mm-hmm, right, into, mm-hmm. you know, people are all together sharing a vision of empowerment. I saw what you were doing and I was like, oh, my God, but I can never run from <laughs> New York City to Washington. <laughs> I mean, I shouldn't say well, never, you know, but <laughs> you, you absolutely could. And the good news is that <laughs> while it started as something that I was going to do alone and then it was yes. four of us. It was done with over a thousand people. That's and amazing. that's also the power of community. Things that seem impossible are just made easier. The load is lightened when you have your community with you. And then you started it. Did you, what did you do for Black Voters Matter? I know that you raised mm-hmm. over $270,000 through this organization yeah. as well. Did you do another run or was it? Yeah. Yeah. So Run for Women, that original run ended and we sort of had... Um, you know, nobody thought that anything else was going to come from it. But myself, Mary Arnold and Jen Bellaney, um, three of us got together and said, wow, this is this is a movement. We started something really powerful. We should we should lean into this. So we created an ambassador program. And over the years, Run for All Women has raised, you know, the next year we raised twenty thousand dollars for candidates running uh, progressive candidates running in the midterms. Then the following year, we raised uh, close to three hundred thousand dollars for Black Voters Matter. 
The year after that, we raised $150,000 for organizations dedicated to uh, protecting uh, indigenous land. And this year, we're actually currently, as we're recording, uh, Women Run the Vote is taking place and raising money again for Black Voters Matter. They've already raised about $20,000. And I actually, I'm no longer involved in leading okay. Run for All Women. It's right. it's incredible. It's sort of like the the best thing I think is when you create something and then other people want to take what you've created and make it their own and, and take it even further than you ever imagined. So, you know, over the past several years, we've probably raised, uh, not probably, I know we've raised over a million dollars for, for organizations. And this all started when you signed up for your first marathon, pretty much. Exactly. Exactly. And that's, you know, that's the thing, like, it's just that that same mentality that's transferable that like I can do really difficult things if I break it up into small pieces and I can involve my community. It's always what I've always done and what I continue to do is you have a disruptive idea, yeah. then you see who else shares that idea, shares your values, and how can you bring this thing to life? That's awesome. All right. Hope you are enjoying this conversation. Just jumping in here to give a shout out to today's sponsors. Inside Tracker. Inside Tracker is the ultra personalized nutrition platform that analyzes your blood, DNA, and lifestyle to help you optimize your body from the inside out. It transforms your body's data into meaningful insights and a customized action plan of the science backed nutrition recommendations you need to optimize your health. Get 20% off today at insidetracker.com slash Marnie on the move or use our code cheers Marnie. Flash forward, now you have this book, Running While Black, which is an amalgam of all of your activism and your running and your passion and your observation of the community. So talk to me a little bit about, you know, some of the key components of this book and like what the message Mm -hmm. is that you're looking to get out there and why everyone should read it. Everyone, everyone. That's right. So, you know, this book, um, my whole life, I always wanted to write a book. Um, I've just always been really um, blown away by the way that through reading, you can empathize, understand, connect with people unlike you or even folks who are like you, right? That feeling of being validated through reading. Um, But I would say that this book, the idea for it was really born, um, after the murder of Ahmaud Arbery, and I wrote a uh, op-ed that went viral in Outside Magazine. Um, I wrote that in May. It was right near Mother's Day. It was going to be my first Mother's Day. And I was reflecting on the experience of being a mother to a Black boy who um, will be no different than Ahmad at some, at some point, right? And um, what the experience is like of moving through space, of of running, doing this thing that you love, but that's always a little bit tainted by the possibility of what other people think of you and that the, the way that the world has been constructed. So I, I published this piece and um, it went viral, Black folks and other uh, It was brown amazing. Folks, it was so color. incredible. Thank I'm going to put a link to it in the show notes. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you. So, you know, Black and brown folks um, were like, thank you for sharing this story. I feel so validated. And a lot of white folks were like, whoa, I've never considered that um, the experience of running could feel like this or that this was what um, what it yeah. was like for you. I was blown and I realized, away. I was like in tears. Right, right. And that was the experience for many for many people. And I realized, wow, OK, there's something here. Um, you know, the way that 
running books have been written, yeah. there's no running book that tells this complex story. It's not a story of just pain. It's also a story of joy, of saving my life. But it also puts running within the context of a world that was not built for us, yeah. right? A world, a country in particular, where uh, Black people only gained the right to vote, you know, 50 years ago. And that same right to vote is still in contest, in contestant, con it's still contested, right? Like Republicans every day are trying to limit um, the ability of Black people to vote. Uh, we live in a world um, where in 2021, 2022, Black people are arrested at disproportionate amounts compared to yeah. white folks, right? So yeah. we live in a world that continues to be inequitable and all of that inequity impacts what it's like to move through space. So my, my hope is that um, through reading my story, people's eyes are awakened yeah. or people's eyes are opened and they feel empowered to do something about it, right? Because yeah. just just being aware is, that's the first step. The second piece is taking intentional action. It was really eye-opening and it's horrifying. And I can't even imagine if somebody could look at me based on the color of my skin and then just like decide mm -hmm. to attack me. Yeah, and you know, the, the piece that, that that's also important is this, and this is that I, I do focus a lot on history because I'm a huge history nerd and well, history informs the present. And, and so I want to say two things about that. The first that just came to mind is that many people don't know that this country literally prohibited Black people from being in space, in, in, in physical space, right? That is like the national parks were segregated. Um, there were parts of national parks that Black people could not go. We could not use the same facilities. Uh, pools, uh, we, you know, pools were privatized. Black people could not go to pools. Um, and, and so if you think about all of these historical things that really weren't that long ago, they really sort of set the framework for people in terms of where Black people should still be able to go and not be able to go. Right. You then think about environmental racism and the ways that, um, you know, neighborhoods that have mostly Black populations are typically under-resourced, uh, whereas white neighborhoods are tend to be more wealthy and more well-resourced. So that's one piece of it, right? Like helping people understand the racialized context. And then the other piece of it that, that I thought was super fascinating, if you when you open the book, the book begins with a timeline and you're able to see side-by-side -side events in yes. running history and then events in what I say is Black people's reality, right? right? Things like it's the great. fact that yeah. in 1896 was the first modern Olympics. Well, that was also the year of the court ruling Plessy, for, Plessy versus Ferguson, which instituted uh, segregation, right? So you think about, oh, well, what would, what would the obstacles then be for a Black person who was trying to compete in the first modern Olympics if everything was segregated? Another critical date that I look at is 1963, which is when Bill Bowerman um, put the call out in Eugene, Oregon for everybody to, to show up and run with him. Well, in 1963, that was also the year of the March on Washington, right, that right. Martin Luther King led. So it's you start to see the cognitive dissonance of um, this one world, the running world that's calling white people outside, that's, you know, talking about the beautiful freedoms of movement. And it's juxtaposed with the reality of black people whose experience is really one of confined movement, right? right. One where government and laws and white people have restricted our movement. And I just thought that was so powerful because that's not something that you can say, well, I don't believe you, <laughs> right? People <laughs> it's really will probably, there. Yeah. People will probably um, 
feel uh, some type of way about this book, um, which is wonderful, right? That yeah. means that they're being challenged. Um, but you cannot contest the, the historical and present context. Like that is just a fact. And that yeah. allows people to wrap their mind around what this experience of running while black truly is. In your book, it's really interesting because mm-hmm. you did like that great grid of the things that are happening parallel to each other. Exactly. Yeah, the, t- the timeline. And and that's, you know, I hope if I hope the book is, you know, loved by all. But I, I really hope that this timeline is is um, is my greatest contribution right to this sport, to contextualizing what all of this history means to how the sport has evolved. And part of what I say in my book in the introduction is that this book is, of course, about my experience of black person's experience. But this is also a book that's about uh, it's for anybody who's ever been on the margins or who has felt like society's expectations failed them. Right. This is a, this is because you could also create a timeline that shows running history and women's reality. Right. Right. And thinking about Which is how, like one tier yeah. down. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. And so you could replace that. You could say that with um, the reality of folks with disabilities. Right. Like in truth, this world was built with white, cis, heterosexual right. men at its center. And so the history of the world has been chipping away at that and making room for more for more people. Do you have a prediction on the future of like when, not when you want to, which would be like tomorrow, mm. based on the past, like how you see the future? Do you ever think about that? It's funny. I was also just watching Handmaid's Tale and I was oh, like, oh my gosh, this is, like a, <laughs> this is a scary look at what would happen if, if Probably um, real. you know, if, yeah. yeah, I know if, uh, if we don't um, continue yeah. the fight. But no, when I, th- when I think about the future, the, the truth is that demographics are on our side and demographics are shifting, right? So um, there's this woman, I forget her name, but she says this, um, and it's not a threat, it's just a fact. She says, if you're speaking exclusively to white people, you're speaking to a shrinking audience, right? So white folks are um, in 15, 20 years are no longer going to be um, the majority population. Uh, and so when you think about that, that also is a reason why there's so much backlash or white lash happening there's a sense of losing control losing institutional power Um, but i expect that the more uh, the more the demographics shift the more hopefully um that attitudes will also shift and this is not you know i'm not calling for the erasure or disappearance of white people i know what i'm calling for is right like like the balance exactly there's a circle of there's a circle of power um, and that it's not equitable. So it's all about expanding that and creating opportunities for more people. The thing is, though, when you've had opportunity and power your whole life, other people getting access to that same power and opportunity yes. feels like you're losing something. Right. Uh, but it's not about it's not about that. It's about bringing more people in. So, yeah, I mean, I think my hope is that 10, 15 years, um, the tide will shift in big ways. I think also, in addition to demographics, just you think about the environment, my mom lives in Florida, but thankfully is with us here. The hurricane that's taking place, hurricane slash tornado, uh, is unprecedented. And things like that will get, like this unprecedented hurricane will soon be the standard. So we will have no choice but to rethink uh, community, rethink power, rethink access, you know, if we want to survive on this planet. Right. Well, thankfully, we have millennials and younger generations. My son. Yeah, Absolutely. It's like it's it, it actually it also makes me sad, though. Right. And it's because yeah. the reason why they have to advocate so hard for themselves is because we've done so much damage, you know, yeah. but um, but I am I am hopeful for I wouldn't have had 
uh, a child if I weren't hopeful for the future. I think right. about like having a child as being the ultimate, um, you know, that that's the sign of hope. But, you know, it's a, it's we've got a lot ahead. I interviewed on the podcast and it hasn't gone up yet. Someone from the major Taylor Iron Riders, oh, awesome. not from the mm. main from the Brooklyn group, because I see mm. them all the time out on my bike. But that is a really he's a really interesting guy like this guy, Chris, who's one of the partners in this local club. But what I learned mm. in the process was just about Major Taylor and the Iron Riders and how that was also happening. Nobody mm-hmm. talks about that stuff. No, it's so true. There's there's Major Taylor. There's also um, Major Knox, who um, uh, this group of women who in 1928, they actually cycled from Harlem to D.C., right? Oh, and wow. this is something okay. that I didn't know. I didn't know that when I was building Run Fall Women, but then I'm like, of course, right? Because yeah. there's nothing new under the sun and there was some kind of inspiration coming from ancestors to, to guide me. But that's the thing, black, black, so in addition to the to the struggles and the, the ways that our movement has, has been limited, we've also always been doing this. Yeah. But that story of us doing it has been erased in order to, continue the idea that we don't do these things right right so in my book there's also powerful pieces of of history that are revealed that show that black people not only have been running for a very long time we actually helped build the sport that we all love and enjoy so i love learning about the pieces of history and, yeah. and folks like major taylor major knox who we are we owe so much to but we just don't know their stories. I love hearing those stories. I think that part of your book is great. It was very educational for me as well. Thank Let's you. Let's talk about writing a book because mm. it's probably like running a marathon. <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah, it's very hard. It's, you know, I will say that I'm grateful to my agent. I'm grateful to my editor in particular because, you know, I know that um, now I have several friends who have written books. And my experience was unique in that I was supported the entire time, right? Yeah. Like my editor really, and it's not that some editors don't care. It's just that some editors care more. Yeah, <laughs> and good. so like my that. editor, Trish Daly, um, was just, you know, she knew that this was the first book I was ever writing and she gave such important feedback. Like, And, and sometimes the feedback that she gave, I'd be like, oh, like, I just don't want to do this anymore. Like, no, yeah. I'm not doing it. And then I would sleep and then I'd be like, wow, Trish is so right. <laughs> you know, like there's nothing she said that didn't make the book better. It's something that's been in you your whole life, right? Yeah. Yeah. And then, but then it was figuring out like actually crafting, like there's so much in this book, but there's also so much that I didn't share. So figuring out which stories are going to make the intended impact, which stories are important for the overall story that I'm telling here, right? Like I hope to write other books and other parts of my life and other, you know, thoughts and, and experiences will come out in those, but but staying true to um, to the purpose of this book, which is to talk about the fact that running truly was never built for black people and that, uh, but it doesn't have to be that way. That was what this story was. So everything that I was telling about my childhood, everything that I was telling historically, all of that had to be in service of telling this larger story. Mm-hmm. So I learned so much about the process of writing a book and um, and the importance of having people who really want to help you succeed. Yeah, that's great. And now, have you found time to continue your running? Like, what, what are you doing these days running-wise? Yeah, I mean, I, I'm now I run... Um, 
at minimum, I run 30 minutes a day. Okay. That's uh, I've made a commitment to, I'm in this like group of, of friends who we have challenged ourselves to do something every day. And that's my thing. And um, that's, that's really what I, where I'm at now and what I am enjoying, right? Like yeah. I have so many other things going on and it's hard for me to just in this moment in my life with a three-year-old, I love being around my son. And so um, I just, just, I'm not in a place where running, doing a long run for three hours is something that I want to do, right? right? I'm like, I'll run for 30 minutes and then I'll go play with my son. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so um, I know I've actually, Mary Wittenberg is a huge mentor for me. And she always says, she's like, in your forties, like you're going to, it's going to be a whole, you're going to find a whole new sense of yourself and you're going to, that's when you'll run a marathon again. And I'm like, cool. Like there's no rush, right? right. There's, there's time for these things and there's season. It. Yeah. Exactly. So yeah, I know that there's a future for me where, where I'll get back to longer distances. And, um, but right now 30 minutes a day is, is an awesome practice for me. And you love the longer distance though. You do. Yeah, I do. And, you know, actually being in the Pacific Northwest now, I'm also finding other endurance sports like kayaking and like cycling and things that I just wouldn't have thought about doing or didn't couldn't have access to doing in In New York York. um at least not easy access right fly fishing right there are a lot of other things yeah yeah there are a lot of other things that obviously don't have the same physicality but allow you the same kind of um like mental rest and recharge and I'm just really excited to be able to experience those things that's awesome and then you are also an ambassador for Brooks running, which yeah. ghosts are my favorite shoes. Yeah. So uh, yeah, talk to me a little bit about that. Like what's, how is mm-hmm. that going? Yeah, it's, it's really cool. So I moved to Seattle in January of 2021 and, and being here, um, you know, obviously Brooks is headquartered here. So I, I've gotten the opportunity to meet a lot of the folks behind the scenes in person. And I mm-hmm. think that's, that's such a huge privilege, honestly, um, to know, uh, really what the brand is about both mm-hmm. inside and out. So I'm a Brooks One Happy Advocate. There are, I want to say, are there eight of us? We're, each of us, we live in, you know, all around the country. And, you know, it's not just about the running aspect, right? It's about what we bring to the sport that's bigger than that. And it's been amazing to actually have this community of other powerful, inspirational people to to lean on, you know, um, folks like Nikki Smith, who is um, a National Geographic photographer and ice climber. So cool. um, folks like, uh, then there's um, Ja Peterson, who is just like a badass trainer in Orlando, who always makes me want to be like a more fit person. Oh. <laughs> right? Jeffrey Binney who is um, uh, a bigger bodied runner. And now and he's doing triathlon, triathlete. right? Exactly. Like, oh my God. <laughs> and who just always, again, reminds me that I can do things even if other people don't expect yeah. it of me. So it's just, you know, I don't know if, um, if Brooks intended to create this powerful connection between all of us, but it's, you know, we have our own little WhatsApp group and we're, we're planning and plotting and it's it's just really powerful to see that Brooks is committed to telling various stories of running, right? Yeah. It's not just about um, the person who goes and runs forever and ever and ever. It's we all embrace run in different ways and it means different things to us. Yeah. Well, I have to say that I am a huge fan of that company. It's just they have such an amazing brand culture. Yeah. The people that work yeah. there are like just as cool and even cooler than the shoes. 
Yeah, no, and that's really important to me. When yeah. I was when I when I first entered entered running, I didn't really even think about. I didn't know there was like an industry, and I didn't yeah. think about that. I just you know reached for whatever brands were accessible to me. But now I I'm able to understand that um, it's important who's behind the scenes and what the company and what those what their values are, and it's important for me to be aligned um, in that way. Well, that's awesome, and I'm so I'm so excited for your book to come out and for everyone to be able to read it. Thank you. I'm totally gonna promote it on all my channels and Thank you. drop this yes, episode yes, yes. when it's supposed to come out. Is there anything like that you haven't shared? Because I know you've done a ton of podcasts. I'm actually just coming off of finishing uh, Women of Color Take the Lead. It's an event that um, a retreat that I planned along with Martha Garcia and a planning committee. And the goal of the retreat was to create a space for uh, women of color to feel centered, empowered, to, to create connections. And this really came out of the fact for us that what I often hear, what you often hear in this yeah. industry is that people can't find talent, right? Oh, you know, we put out, we're looking for diverse talent. We're looking for black people and people of color, but they just don't apply or they apply and they aren't good enough, right? And we know, and those are the excuses that are told, yeah. but I know as a black woman that there's plenty of talent that what is often the case is that these companies are looking in the wrong spaces or mm -hmm. don't know where to look. Right. So our goal for this retreat was to be like, oh, you don't think talent exists? Guess what? Here are 65 women who just came to this conference, to this retreat, who are talented, who are, are you know, just exceptional and who are in this industry and won't be ignored. And the success of this first retreat lets us know that there's just such a hunger and need for this work of validating our experiences, of creating networking and opportunities for women of color. So I'm just excited where that will go. And in this year, in this first year, we had the support of Brooks, of course, was yeah. our main sponsor, Solomon, Strava, Features, uh, REI, Article One, um, eyewear. And I just, you know, those are the brands that heard about what we were doing and got it immediately. Yeah. yeah. And, and that's not always easy, right? No. Some brands want to stay in the sideline and they want proof of concept. These brands were oh, like, you know yeah, what, totally. you are, you are answering the call for something that we need. And, and I'm just so thankful for the support and for Martha and I have been joking that we just started this tsunami wave, right? Yes. So we cannot wait to see the ripples that come from this. So you're going to do this. Is, so is, are there talks and panels and yeah. yeah. So it's, um, it's a two and a half day retreat. There are panels, there are opportunities to connect directly with sponsors. There are, everybody leaves with a mentor, a career mentor. I did a book reading. We went paddling on Lake Washington. So it's part um, informational, but also part community and connection, which I think is often overlooked, right? We often are so focused uh, on what we have to do mm -hmm. that we don't even know that there is a community. Actually, this one, this one Black woman said all her life as a Black woman in the running industry, she thought she was the only one. And then she walked in a room and saw that there were at least 65 of us. And she's wow. like, wow, I wish I had known this, right? So the idea is you are not the only one. There are many of us out here. We're gifted and uh, we're going to make waves. Is it just running? Is it? This year it was, but that's a great question because we're like, huh, you know, this is, this is a gap in 
in all of these industries, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, think about Cycling, women of color taking in sports, like exactly, all those things. Exactly. Yeah. So are there opportunities to uh, expand that where maybe there's separate retreats for each of these industries or there's overlap? I mean, the, uh, it, it's a really exciting about the opportunities and, yeah. and also just how much impact we can make, right? Like there were many of the sponsors came with job openings and left with those jobs filled. That's so, so awesome. Yeah. Excited That's about that. Yeah. Thank you. Well, this has been super awesome, Allison. I'm yeah. so excited to drop this conversation and can stay connected. Thank you. Awesome. See you in New York. Thank you so much. Awesome, Allison. Thanks again for tuning in to Marnie on the Move. If you like what you hear, leave us a five-star review in Apple Podcasts. Follow us on social at Marnie on the Move for Facebook and Instagram and Marnie Salop on Twitter. Head over to our website, MarnieOnTheMove.com for more info on this episode, links in the show notes, and of course, sign up for our quarterly newsletter, The Download, to get updates, deals, giveaways, and information on future events for 2019.